welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I am AJ. And I am Gavin. Hello, sir. Hello, how's it going? It's going well, it's going well. It's It's been a minute since we recorded, not a minute since we've hung out, but uh, it's been a minute since uh, we've recorded an episode. And once again, to our loyal listeners all around the world, we apologize. <laughs> it looks like... Uh you're in a in a hotel room? No. The, oh, wow, your 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 apartment is as fancy as hotel. This is my guest bedroom that none of y'all have come up to visit and stay in. It's like I got this beautiful queen-size bed that we got for free. Uh, you know, it's a nice setup. You got your own TV here. It's a the view is that of the mountains right outside your window. It's nobody takes us up on it. We're only here for like another 5 to 6 months. So, you, hey, you, get on it. You've heard it here, folks. Uh if you're a listener, <laughs> come on down or come on up. Come on up, you come are. on down, come on east, come on west. Uh, whatever floats your boat. So, Anywho, so, my friend, what's new? Well, uh, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think I've been doing some, you've been doing some movie watching. Yes. Some new movie watching. Yes. And I've been doing some old movie streaming, uh, old TV streaming. As have I, of course, and uh, old movie Blu-ray playing. Don't forget yes. that, except yes. for you, who does not have a Blu-ray player. But I do have a DVD player, and the audio going from a DVD player to a new, new TV isn't great. you got to <laughs> turn the volume up to 100, and you read lips. But otherwise, yeah. but otherwise you get the fine. gist. It's good. Yeah. You don't even notice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, otherwise, same old, same old. Obviously, uh, once again, as I always tell people, I live in isolation. So, uh, you know, I work a 40-hour week job, and then I'm also commuting an hour and a half every day. So, uh, and then Gavin just has a very time-demanding job. So, the logistics of recording uh, have made it difficult. And also, in the time since we last recorded, I have pretty much been busy I've been out of town every weekend, including two weekends with Gavin. And, of course, people are like, why don't you record? I'm like, well, when I'm in L.A., we're doing other fun stuff. But, uh, yeah, so this is – and even this weekend, I'm leaving as soon as we finish this because, once again, when you live in the mountains in the middle of nowhere, you got to take a whole day to go do basic stuff. So, uh, yeah, once again, apologies about the delay. Hopefully, we'll be back on our uh, weekly recording track. I I think we might be able to, although next week – we got a special day coming up, so we might be missing that. A special day indeed. I'm uh, officially reaching my mid-30s. Whoa. I know. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see, about, we'll see about when we record next week. But also, my mother was in town, our, our number one fan in the state from the state of Hawaii. This is correct. This is correct. I forgot to mention that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so while your mom was in town, also I had friends in uh, Modesto, where I grew up, uh, that I hadn't seen since high school, a few of them. And so, uh, I, you know, I drove last weekend into Modesto, like an hour and a half. So I was busy doing that. And so how was the trip with your mom? You guys went to the new Beverly a few times. It was fantastic. We went to the new Beverly a few times. We saw four films. One was a double feature. Uh, we did not get to see hard boiled, unfortunately, just because of my work schedule and, you know, the commute around L.A. We had to we had to settle for uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, my God. You know um, what, though? So for me, uh, in the for obviously for context for people listening, the new Beverly Cinema uh, screen, the John Woo film Hard Boiled uh, last weekend. And that's the kind of thing. I would, And it was on a Saturday on top of that. So it's the kind of thing that logistically I can make, even if I had to drive, you know, I could leave at like 5 a.m. on Saturday morning. But. 
I went to the double John Woo Q&A screening a few years back for, I can't remember what film festival it was. Maybe it was Fantastic Fest. One was at the Egyptian, if I'm not mistaken. And one was at the one that's on Sunset Boulevard in Silver the, Lake. The Vista. Yeah. And uh, I actually got to meet John Woo as he was walking by. I got an aisle row seat with no intention of like trying to meet it. But he happens to walk by. I'm like clapping. And then I, I forget what the circumstances were. But it's we made eye contact. And I just stuck out my hand. And he gave me a nice handshake. And yep. I was like, oh, yeah, man, I'm such a fan. And then I turned around to see who took a picture. Nobody, because I was by myself. <laughs> so I was like, damn it, no. And I was hoping, like, professional uh, photos from the event would come out later and a few here and there. But I was like, someone must have grabbed a picture because it wasn't just, like, a quick little handshake. It was kind of like a embraced, nice, firm. Like, yes. it would have been a picture-perfect moment if the professional photographer had caught it. Uh, long story short, I, it wasn't a necessity for me to come down and see hard boiled again even though i totally would have loved to but once again you were doing your thing with your mom i was doing my stuff and i think i would have preferred to see raiders of the lost ark because i've never seen any of the original indiana jones films on the big screen oh it, it was it was fantastic and it kind of leads into something that i'm going to pull off of uh there's a there's a particular thread on twitter that i'm going to read at some point um ahead of ahead of us recording because it does it does kind of link everything together i think in as as we lead into discussing our films today. Spoiler alert, Gavin, we are already recording. Uh, well, yes, we are recording. <laughs> However, so with that said, yes. I have a I have a very good quote for you. Okay. To guess. Got it. From all of my old TV screening. Okay, go. You're gonna just tell, you're just gonna tell me in what context you okay. said it. He's Mitch Buchanan. Sasha Mitchell in Step by Step. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. Oh, okay. No. He's Mitch Buchanan, a lifeguard. Oh, let me think. Let me think. I'm going to go with Knight Rider. Yes. No, How did no. you guess? Obviously, this is Baywatch. And I did have a bit of uh, you kind of gave me a hint earlier or a cheat. So I'm going to guess that was from the episode you were watching with Lauren Avedon. Indeed it is. Yes. And the, the funny part is the only reason I know about that episode is probably from watching uh, one of the uh, – podcast interviews Lauren Avedon did during uh, the COVID lockdowns, which was great because we hadn't really seen uh, much from him interview-wise in a long time. He, he's decently active on social media, and I follow him on there. And uh, But I, it was maybe on the art of action, and you got to see a clip of that fight scene with uh, the great... David Hasselhoff. I was about to say he, David he, Duchovny, and I was like, wait a minute, wrong 90s he, show. You know, he might be on a separate episode because... The only fight scene I saw was between Lauren Avedon and his son. Oh, maybe. No, I swear, though, that he might be on a few episodes. Oh, maybe. He's, he's kind of like a featured henchman in the oh. episode I saw in the if you go to Hulu in the two Hoff to handle section. It's all the Hasselhoff falling in love. And then, of course, the relationships never work for one reason or another. But I digress. Um, That's OK. That's what this podcast is all about. Speaking of digression, I'm also watching season eight of Walker, Texas Ranger, which features Samuel Law or mm -hmm. Samuel Hung. Can I just say there's one episode, uh, the title eludes me right now, where Clarence Gilliard directs. So he's hardly in the episode. It has some of the best fight sequences. It has an actor who ended up going into the Kamen Rider uh, films, okay. I think Black Dragon. Nia Peoples has... A few kicks in that episode that would that we would have expected to see 
from, say, a Cynthia Rothrock guest starring well, on TV, and she never did. Yeah, she for- uh, she had a great scorpion kick, which is like the one, obviously, that uh, Cynthia Rothrock would use. And if I'm not mistaken, Nia Peoples, and for those of you that don't know, I've watched every single episode of Walker, Texas Ranger multiple times. I have the entire box set. I'm the biggest fan on the planet. I have an autographed picture from the entire principal cast, aside from... Cl- uh, Obviously, Clint Chuck Norris, Gilles. who wasn't at oh. the event, and uh, Noble Willingham, who had passed. But yeah. I digress once again. Uh, but she would do the scorpion kick from both legs, from yes. like the the like same side or opposite side. On top of that, aside from her scorpion kick, she also had a great like tornado kick. Yes, is it? Uh, there's also one other kick she was doing in this episode where she was holding her leg and then mm-hmm. releasing it on the uh, chopping it down. Ah, and it makes me think of the actress we're going to discuss later today. But there was some really great work in in particular in season eight for her. What episode? What was the plot wise? Of the uh, the plot, was the plot one that? was uh, anthrax had been stolen. Not anthrax. Uh, these the skater steals uh, some kind of nerve gas. Uh, Neo Peoples has to help him uh, escape from these guys. They right. think he's the criminal. Turns out he was just a good guy with memory loss. So I think it is uh, something about trying to remember. Full recovery. Oh, nice. Full recovery. That's- and then Chuck Norris does uh, some like one-on-one uh, karate with him and some kata with him to help him remember. Okay. Yeah, get his memory yeah. back. Yep. Yep. I do recall. It's a good episode. Uh, but then again, isn't every episode? I was going to say, is there a bad episode of Walker, Texas Ranger? Even, well, for example, some of the ones that may have been kind, could have been bad. Instead, bring in a fantastic actor, sort of like the Billy Drago episode where it's Native American ghosts haunting. <laughs> yes. And like, so it's, and yeah, that, that's one thing you have to preach about Walker, Texas Ranger is it would have science fiction episodes. It would have mystical episodes. It would have uh, straight up. It had a lot of religious episodes, but not just in the way people are thinking, like with Christian ideology. They had uh, Buddhist-themed episodes. They Mm -hmm. had like Native American spirituality episodes, like the aforementioned one with Billy Drago, et cetera, et cetera. So it was very diverse in that sense. Well, uh, so if if you don't mind, I'm going to pull up. uh, So on Twitter, uh, which I have lost the thread, there's there's, – once you close Twitter, it closes and it has to restart. So basically, I'm going to pull up from my memory. Okay. Uh, there is this film critic who came out saying that he's not an old movie guy because old movies aren't fun. And when he was referring to old movies, he was like, of course, just not just speaking of classics, mm-hmm. but like all the old action films just do not live up to current action. And I was ref- I was reflecting on that. And it's funny because while my mother was visiting, obviously, we saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, which basically is like an homage to the adventure films from from yesteryear. Yeah, so she Steven also Spielberg grew up on as yeah. part of that real quick to uh, not to interrupt, but as part Please. of that first generation of new Hollywood cinema directors. Uh, so, for example, to break it down, there's what people call CHC, classic Hollywood cinema, you know, the very beginning, the 19 uh, teens through like the even the, the 40s or 50s. And then that 60s on era, late 60s is when kind of what they call new Hollywood cinema began, which was the filmmakers or auteurs, if you will, that had grown up watching film, that first generation and the first generation to actually study film at like a university level of some sort. And so Steven Spielberg, one of these like first generation new Hollywood cinema directors, grew up on these adventure films. And that was his homage to those films and his inspiration was fantastic. And so while, while my mother was visiting, she wanted to put on a Hopalong Cassidy episode. 
So as I was reflecting on this, this uh, critic about uh, old, I'm not an old cinema guy. Uh, I decided, you know what? I'm definitely going to watch this episode. It was one with Robert Mitchum. And okay, there are film elements that are dated. And the, the critic was basically saying, oh, all old, all old Hollywood was just experimental. So it's really hard for him to watch, which of what? course is like ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, but watching like these stunts from yesteryear, like Robert Mitchum gets, takes a hit and he falls on like a hard wooden table. It's not like some kind of prop table. Maybe they loosened it a little bit and he slams into the ground with it. Uh, so just like, I'm not trying to, uh, linger too much on this, but what I want to do is relate this to essentially the golden age of Hong Kong, which I think Hong Kong cinema, which I think is actually the bridge, you know, you know, outside of some obvious uh, um, films like Raiders of the Lost Ark is the bridge between so much of classic cinema and the cinema we see today in action. We see this like blending uh this mm -hmm. grounded action because it's so heavily reliant on martial arts and the physicality of of the of the performers as well as the the choreographers the vision of the choreographers the cinematography and the direction that this golden age of hong kong cinema is the bridge between classic hollywood and current hollywood and i can actually see how some people when they go to watch like a marvel universe film if they're maybe not uh, if that's their first entry into modern action cinema, they probably can't grasp what's happening because it's happening so fast with so many flashes. Uh, so anyway, I bring this up because some of the films we're discussing today are from within that golden era. Uh, there's another film that you saw this week that I haven't had the chance to see yet, which from what I've been reading, what I've un understand is this new wave of cinema that links to the past, but also is so creative. It's almost like, uh, I also just watched Waking Life this week. So it's all, also like story-wise, almost as creative or on that realm of like a waking life where there's just multiple stories being told where it's just as creative story-wise as action-wise. Mm -hmm. So with that said, I'm, I'm going to yield the floor and see if you can like get us grounded into what we're supposed to talk about. Well, and I think it's it's essential. It's sort of like when you're, uh, whether it's English class, literature class in high school, university level, you know, a lot of older books people don't like to read. But then at the same time, there's a lot of classics that still stand the test of time. But that would be like saying, oh, all old novels are boring or blah, blah, blah. It's like every old novel. For example, I absolutely despise Jane Eyre. I think it was a horrific book and I cringed reading it. I, I, I absolutely just didn't enjoy it. But for example, like similar era, whatever, I can go back and read the original like Wizard of Oz novels and absolutely love them. Right. You know, uh. I can read a bunch of classic literature or, you know, just like there's some Shakespeare I love, other Shakespeare, I'm like, uh, but you have to appreciate and understand where what we have now came from. So, yes, not every classic Hollywood film is going to be as entertaining or captivating or technically sound or well-made, but th there's still some that it's the same thing I could put on and watch. Like you take some, for example, let's look at some old classic comedians. You know, there's some people that may love to watch Charlie Chaplin or not, uh, but maybe somebody would prefer something like Buster Keaton, right? And you can go back and watch Buster Keaton films, particularly, in my opinion, uh, Young Sherlock and uh, The General, and those mm -hmm. have stunt work and action 
that set the precedent later on for people like Jackie Chan, who was directly inspired by Buster Keaton. But you watch those stunts and they still stand the test of time today. In fact, even more so. And even some of the quote unquote tricks they did to do them were so ahead of their time. Like the whole sequence where Buster Keaton goes over the railroad tracks on his bicycle, right? Which they Mm -hmm. actually filmed in reverse. That's how they got that absolutely incredible sequence where you're like, how the F did they time that? But you, you can't just automatically throw away everything else because you think, oh, it's boring and blah, blah, blah. You know, no, like, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's kind of an ignorant statement in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, it, it's and for the casual viewer, they don't necessarily have to, but I would encourage them to seek out some older films to watch. I mean, just like, you know, during the uh, Great Depression and right afterwards, there was this influx of kind of musical escapism films. I'm trying to think of the director's name, Buster, uh, Buster uh, or Bugs, Bugsby. Uh, Bill B- Busby, Busby. Uh, oh my gosh! It sounds good. like you're trying to go with the guy from The Incredible Hulk. No, not. Uh, hold on. Uh, let's see. Maybe I can find it. Busby Berkeley. There we go. See, I knew I was close. Uh, who was a director, a musical choreographer, and they did a bunch of films, which were just kind of almost like early precursors to music videos, where it was just these big, extravagant musical numbers, and the camera work was incredible. They would do like the bird's eye view and just the intricate choreography. And actually, speaking of Steven Spielberg, the whole opening sequence of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is an homage to the films of Busby Berkeley, that whole musical yes. number. And these films, I can go back and watch those and still think they're so beautiful and captivating. And once again, they also reflect that era and what was going on. So uh, as people may or may not know, during the Great Depression and stuff, people needed this form of escapism. The world was pretty depressing. <laughs> you know, people had lost everything. People were dirt poor. And so the ability to just go to the cinema and escape for an hour and a half and see this absolutely beautiful, mesmerizing performance in front of you was a necessity. And then as, you know, the comedy bounces back, this and that, maybe the need for those films wasn't as much. Uh, but, I mean, these these are the kind of things that, by watching those kind of films, you can understand where the next generation come in, came and the next generation and the next generation. And so, yeah, with Hong Kong cinema, it's also essential. You go to early, early uh, stuff, like even let's look at the beginning of like the Kung Fu Pian, right? So, and speaking of which, Jimmy Wong Yu has passed away since we last recorded, so may he rest in peace. But you go and watch like what some people consider like the first real like Kung Fu Pian, Kung Fu movie as opposed to Wuxia, and that mm-hmm. would be uh, the Chinese boxer, right? And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are gonna say, no, it's Five Fingers of Death. No, that was the first movie that that launched the Kung Fu craze in America. The Chinese boxer was a couple years before. Similarly themed, Chinese martial artists versus Japanese martial artists as they've invaded China. But you look at the choreography of that film, and even before, like, all the Kung Fu movies made before Bruce Lee, and then even after Bruce Lee, because Bruce Lee was a phenomenon. He was unique. He was his own entity, right? His choreography, everything else. And it took a long time for other Hong Kong filmmakers to catch up to him. So that the era right before him, the era right after him, you know, the choreography was much different. In fact, this is what has been coined as the basher genre, uh, as I've used to call it, like kind of chop sake, but I think basher is better because it's just kind of brutal throwing around, not as clean or crisp, sometimes fast and powerful, but just the, the choreography wasn't as intricate. But you go to that era and you watch films like uh, Awaken Punch, right? Which is mm-hmm. one that just got a re-release last year on Blu-ray. And it's Yuan Wuping and the Yuan clan did the choreography. And you can see hints of future Yuan Wuping 
in that choreography, even though it's not as slick, even though it's not as uh, technical and they haven't they haven't got down. You can see their ingenuity and creativity being born during this period, like Mm -hmm. little flashes of, oh, okay. And then the next generation, you know, of, say, like when he started working with Jackie Chan. Oh, wow. Things are getting really clean and crisp now. Then the next generation where they start implementing more wire work and so forth. And you've got Iron Monkey and the films we're going to talk about today. And then finally, The Matrix. Right. It's reached America. It's become part of the zeitgeist really right the matrix was so huge and then from that period on hollywood productions even if it didn't fit were using this style of choreography right i was just discussing with some uh of my members of the gym that i manage about the daredevil film from that period where the choreography is done by yono ping's brother and i'm and they're like well yeah it's kind of hokey now and i was like i sort of have to agree some of it's amazing but other parts like where ben affleck fights a jennifer garner on the seesaw thing in the park they're doing way too much like traditional kung fu stuff but that was what was huge at that time right Mm -hmm. and it came specifically from the matrix and even right then, it had already ingrained itself into American culture and filmmaking. Yes, it kind of phased out afterwards, but forever from that point, there was this new standard for choreography, right? And that yeah, you, was you the could, Hong you, Kong style. You could never drop below. It's, mm-hmm. it's basically like uh, the Charlie's Angels with Drew Barrymore. Once, once the once Matrix hit, it influenced everything, and it basically drew had a new flatline of this is where action. This is where action cannot dip below. This is where this is this is the expectation of action. You have to hit this bar at minimum. Um, absolutely, and and so like what uh, I think what maybe I'm trying to impress upon is that this this whole issue of whether whether a film is before you were born or made new uh, recently, film itself is not generational, but it reflects a time period. But I would I would suggest humans, those of us who are humans, <laughs> should uh, be willing to dabble and be willing to go to new films and be willing to see old films as well. And yeah. old films can be anything from a decade, two decades, three decades. And you're going to see dated things, but dated elements. But even if we look at today's comedy, the first time around when you're watching a comedy – you're probably laughing. The second time around, the jokes have already dated in so many instances, unless it's a classic. Uh, and there are modern classics and there are, you know, like there's Little Miss Sunshine as sort of like a semi-modern classic. There's, you know, the Peter Sellers work. There's Buster Keaton's work. There's Roberto Benigni's work. There's Michael Huey's work, uh, <laughs> or even, which also you know, get, can be extremely dated sometimes too. The, the quote unquote frat pack, right? Like Will Ferrell, those guys, they're, you know, uh, the magnum opus being Anchorman, in my opinion. And those films are still hilarious, but those same actors and filmmakers and so forth, they've now had to kind of evolve. Like, let's say if they tried to make that exact same movie now, it may not work, both due to the opinion of individuals and kind of what is going on in society, you know, uh, thematically, but also just same thing. The actors have gotten older, you know, they have to evolve. You have like filmmakers from that, period like Adam McKay right who's now like an Oscar winning actor excuse me director producer so yeah sign of the times baby well this I just want to give a shout out to Aaron Vargas because this thread came into into my my uh what do you call it Twitter stream 
thanks to a retweet of his. So Ah, yes, Mr. Vargas, our new uh, friend who we got to meet in person, and we should probably segue into what we're really going to talk about today. Exactly. So with those couple of trips I took down to L.A., long story short, I had a bunch of Southwest vouchers I needed to use. So I took multiple trips during that two-month period. I went to Seattle. I went to L.A. I went to L.A. again. I was supposed to go to L.A. another time, but unfortunately, I had to attend a uh, service for someone that just passed. So, But... That first trip, I took a day off from work, three-day weekend, and, uh, oh, and also one of the main things that took up a weekend, like two weekends ago, was one of my very, very dear best friends, Alex, uh, got married, so shout out to Alex, he just got back from his honeymoon in Belize, he is a loyal listener, uh, and he's also the head of the Reddit uh, page for the Martial Arts Mania podcast. Nice. Uh, I forget what you call it, it's not the head, it's uh, the... Publisher? No, I was going to say auditor, that's not right. I don't know. The author? We're, we're old. Uh, but uh, shout out to him and shout out to Duke because Duke was in the wedding party and he listens sometimes too. Hi, Duke. Uh, but so on the trip I came down for uh, that weekend, we uh, went to a double Kung Fu screening at the New Beverly Cinema. It was actually a Michelle Yeoh themed night, which makes sense, but it could have easily been a Yuan Ping themed night. But it was a double screening of... Two classic films. The first one being the 1993 Yuan Wuping directed Jet Li and Michelle Yeoh starring and Shin Su Ho, Tai Chi Master. And the second being the 1994 Yuan Wuping directed Michelle Yeoh and Donnie Yen starring Wing Chun. Excellent. Yes. I, I, I was... I, I, uh... I was enjoying hearing you introduce the films. Uh, it was, by the way, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop. I'm gonna not mention something. But what fun those films were! I mean, yes. for me, so I think we both went in with the same expectation that uh, we had previously seen these films. Wing Chun on VHS tape for me, maybe on DVD for you, VCD v- for yeah. you. Didn't live up to, you know, the we, we weren't anticipating that film as much. But going emerging from watching both, I thoroughly enjoyed both films immensely from start to finish. I mean, obviously, uh, Tai Chi Master, or uh, the American name was Twin Warriors. Correct. That was when Miramax re-released it. So that was the version I had in the '90s on VHS. Wow, uh, which was which was a good one. They didn't change any of the music. Yeah, they just dubbed it and they cut out maybe like two minutes worth of stuff. Uh, so it, it was a pretty good release in that terms. Now between those films. two films, let's say we were in the movie theater for 180 minutes. How many fight scenes and how many minutes? of fight scenes did we see geez louise and that's the thing so and i think i may have mentioned it on the podcast but it, it was randomly at the beginning of this year before they had announced this double screening that i was like you know what i need to rewatch twin warriors because once again that's what i always called it because that was my version but we'll say for the time being i will use the title tai chi master but i was like man i really need to rewatch tai chi master i haven't seen that since i was a kid and for me once again as a kid i wasn't as big of a fan of the wuxia genre or wirework films there there was kind of this in between where like mistakenly for example the young man that was introducing the double screen to us at the new beverly who butchered a lot of details didn't know what he was talking about and unfortunately normally i would never talk crap but 
Yeah, no, he was really bad at it. For example, I went to a James Bond screening that other weekend by myself, and the guy who introduced it was amazing. Great little oh. introduction. But our guy who introduced it, he couldn't get Michelle Yeoh's name right. He kept calling her Michelle Yao. He kept calling her films Wuxiao Pictures, which they are most certainly not. I will argue that. But uh, so as a kid, I wasn't as big of a fan of wire work films. Like, I, yes, I liked Iron Monkey, but not as much as I like it now. But the one movie... Uh, Especially because Jet Li did a lot of movies in that period. The Fong Sai Yuk ones were, you know, I wasn't as big of a fan. But the one that I always liked, even from that era, in fact, really liked was Tai Chi Master. And so I had been saying to myself, man, I haven't seen it in years because once I lost my VHS copy, I don't think I've seen it in at least 12 years, 13, 14, 15 years. And then they announced this screening and I was like, oh, awesome. We'll get to see it on the big screen. I'll get to see the original version, which I've never seen, uh, you know, in Cantonese. Was it no, or was it in Cantonese or Mandarin? I can't I remember. Feel, did now. it did it slip between the two? Mm-mm. I'm trying to think. One of them, I want to say it was in Cantonese, but now because I don't think I was watching and listening in Mandarin at all. No, I'm pretty sure it's Cantonese. But uh, anywho, uh, so I was really excited, but. And we go, we watch this movie, and not only was I blown away, I forgot how many freaking fight scenes are in that movie. And it's not an overload. They still somehow create a good storyline, you know, good character to development, the three-act uh, structure to the script, and it all works brilliantly while putting in just so many phenomenal fight sequences. And these aren't just basic little uh, hand-to-hand sequences. These are intricate wire work sequences. It, it it was uh I will also say that the fights did not stop the film, despite having so many action sequences and fight sequences, each one seemed to develop character even further. Even the even the like training fight sequences that the that the two boys had and as they grew older had within the within the temple where they were training were all about developing their character. You could see where where uh, Jet Li's character in Chan Chin Su Chin Su Ho Chin Su Ho's character were developing similarly, and then where one was growing a strength and the other was growing a strength, and how that would eventually lead to their separate paths that they took at the end. Everything, every I would say, every strike, every block, every every characteristic that they had in the fight sequences from early on and as the film developed and as they separated to their separate paths spoke to the character that they were fostering and became. Excellent. Uh, great analysis. And the thing is, it's sort of, it just made me think of uh, Raging Fire, the Donnie Yen film last year we talked yes. about. And how at the end, that final line by Nicholas Say is, it pretty much says, what if I had gone to chase that up? Uh, what if you had gone to follow that other uh, suspect and I had stayed and you ended up killing him pretty much saying what if our roles had been reversed and you went down the path I did as you know the evil cop and then I stayed the righteous one but as we mentioned before it's a matter of choice and in this film both characters have multiple times to where they could have crisscrossed right Jet Li consistently stays good hearted and pure and Chin Su Ho's character has multiple opportunities to go back to that, right? You see him slowly start to cross over to the dark side, but then he has an opportunity to get pulled back, but doesn't. And so you have no sympathy in that sense because he could have, he was given so many chances. 
a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. But you just see consistently that evil start to build up with him. He would have been a great apprentice for, uh, you know, somebody on the dark side, the emperor. Emperor Palpatine? Yes. Yeah, that goes to show. I am not a huge Star Wars fan, so I apologize. Yes, I've seen all of them. I I just said yes because I guess you have the right name. (laughs) Yes, him. Yeah, I I also don't know. Um. No, what what I what I I think one thing the first thing I said when we emerged from the films after we were like just buzzing for a little bit I was like I want to sit down and have a meal like Jet Li had. Oh my god, the food throughout that movie, man! And on my next trip down to L.A., I did get to go to Korean barbecue with Big Ray, one of my dear friends and uh, clients for many years in L.A. And it was like that style. And he and I, as the name may imply, Big Ray, six foot five, you know, he's he's a big dude. We we put down some Korean barbecue, and it kind of satisfied that uh, that inkling for uh, that. Even though obviously it wasn't Chinese, but man, after you watch that movie, just so. And the thing is, it's that kind of Chinese food that once again, not to sound like I'm you know <laughs> snooty snooty, but when you actually lived in China, that's the kind of Chinese food you would eat, like family style. You each have a big old bowl of rice and then a bunch of veggie meat dishes. You know, not a lot of the same stuff you have in American Chinese restaurants, which I still love. And a lot of the times is actually, you know, the kind of more sweet and savory type stuff. But just Mm -hmm. that good old classic. Like, as I always tell people, my favorite Chinese dish probably, and it's one that I never had till I moved to mainland China because it's not a staple of Chinese restaurants in America, is fan qie chao dan or xi hong shi chao dan or in Cantonese, fan qie chao dan. So tomato fried egg. And oh. coincidentally enough, the only Chinese restaurant I've ever seen with it is up here where I live in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. I saw it on their menu and I asked it and they all, they're all they all from the mainland. They all speak Mandarin. So once again, extremely rare. Most, you know, a lot of American Chinese restaurants, it's like third, fourth generation or recent still from Hong Kong, uh, you know, family from Hong Kong or immigrants from Hong Kong that Cantonese speaking. But this restaurant straight up Mandarin. And so I asked them when I saw the menu, I'm like, is this, you know, Chinese style tomato fried egg? And they're uh-huh. like, yep. I, it's 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 amazing that you mentioned that dish because that is uh, so we we lived one year um, in mainland China in uh, Taiyuan in Shanxi, and, and for everybody that's not realizing, this was also 1980s China. Gavin's talking about yeah. night and day difference. If he was to go back to that same area, it would it's whatever he saw before has been completely demolished and built over. Well, you, it's amazing because there was a uh, I think an Academy Award nominated film a few years ago. Uh, that took place from from China, and a portion of it took place in Shanxi and Taiyuan. And I'm like, this it does not look like Taiyuan. This is not this is not the Shanxi I remember because you, I, you know it's going to get demolished and rebuilt. But that egg dish is one of the few dishes I remember that uh, for, you know I was a young kid. But that dish they would have it quite regularly. It was phenomenal. That's the one thing I would always devour. Uh, and my yeah. mother, my mother will make it sometimes. And th- there is slight differences between the regional versions of it. So it's it's a classic staple in like Guangdong and Hong Kong uh, restaurants and food. But my favorite version of it was when I first moved from Thailand to Beijing, China. In the winter, it's freezing cold. I speak zero Chinese. I'm in an apartment with like six other foreign teachers. We're all going through our teaching certification program. And one of the girls was. Uh, uh, Chinese American. She was half Chinese, uh, half Caucasian of some sort, but she spoke very little Mandarin. 
Like she actually took like a semester in school and I think spoke some growing up. So, I mean, she was like conversational, right? Like I would say probably my Mandarin now is far superior to hers was at that time, but she was like our go-to for really getting anything done. Uh, and so she, the, in the building we lived downstairs, like it, cause once again, these buildings are massive. There was a little shop and it, within the little shop, the shop owner had a little kitchen and they would cook food. Right. And so she comes back one day with this giant bowl of rice, tomatoes and eggs. And I'm like, what is that? So the first day I go down with her, she helps me order. Right. And then every time I'd go back, they just knew. And they were probably saying to me, you know, like, oh, she hung sure child on, huh? And I'd just be like, uh, uh-huh. I'd just shake my head up and down. Uh-huh. And they always knew that's all I wanted. And that was my favorite version of it because it was actually a little less sweet. It was just big old heart and hearty scrambled eggs and tomato. And oh man, if you if you get the chance to try it, no matter what version you get. And here's the deal. It's not that easy to make. I tried to just make it once and it's like, no, this is just eggs and tomato. <laughs> it's not the same thing. And that's yeah. the thing. The, the, the Cantonese version is actually kind of sweet. They put a lot of sugar in it. Yes. Uh, I remember, and, I remember the yeah. sugar on top. They almost like, a, it's almost like gets glazed. Yeah. yeah. That's why I prefer that version I had in Beijing, which was yeah. just more so the tomato and the eggs and it was freezing cold. I remember just getting my bowl Whoa. of the steam coming off. And so yeah. Oh, go, go. No, finish. I was going to say, we're digressing because really yeah. what we're just trying to get at is throughout the movie, they have these phenomenal spreads of oh. food that. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's almost like every time they're having a meal, it's like uh, a lot of Western films. It's like a holiday film almost where it's it, the, so much is being discussed around the dinner table, the Thanksgiving meal, the Christmas meal. It's so much. uh so much of this like mini revolution that they're maybe having is being discussed around uh, this communal table. And it's, it's just, uh, again, the fights are interwoven into the story. The meal time is interwoven into the story. Nothing is, nothing is forced. Nothing is, uh, nothing is um, off script. I mean, there might be some jokes here and there, which is typical for uh, films of that time, but even that is, it's pretty leaned out. Everything, everything fits, particularly in Tai Chi Master, and everything organically grows together. You, you actually feel like you are in this village with, uh, with Jet Li and Michelle, Michelle Yao. Michelle Yao. Yeah. Michelle Yao. And then, of course, Gavin heard the guy later in the lobby as he was, Gavin was giving popcorn or something, saying, I, I think I may have pronounced your name wrong. I, yeah. I would have been like, yeah, uh, fool, yeah. you did. Yeah. Is it yo? Is it yow? Jeez. Uh, but they also, uh, the guy that did a great introduction for you mm-hmm. was probably the former New Beverly owner, Michael Torgan. Okay. Who is so good at contextualizing the yes. films that are screening. And he references other films that yep. you might like that are not necessarily, oh, you like this kung fu film? Watch this kung fu film. It's like, this kung fu film took place during this time, yep. so you might want to watch... Must have been him, because that's exactly what he did yeah, in regards phenomenal. to the James Bond movies, and how, uh, especially the Roger Moore era, and he said exactly what I would have, how they would have reflected on what was popular at the time, the zeitgeist, as you will, uh, of different films, you know, how he said like this one was a reflection of black exploitation cinema, how then he did a Kung Fu type movie, man, the golden gun and then uh moonraker because of star Wars. And that's exactly what I would have done. And he did a great job. And even if you're not a huge fan of the James Bond uh, genre, like I am or film series, but I guess you could say genre. Uh, 
you could still do your research. You know what I mean? That's, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that harkens back to what we were saying earlier about watching films from uh, an array of, of the generations of films mm-hmm. that have been made. Uh, with that said, let's talk maybe a little bit about the choreography and the fight sequences. Sure. And let's definitely address Wing Chun as well. Uh, yeah. So within Tai Chi Master, it's definitely more of that wire work style. It's definitely Jet Li's kind of what feels like northern kung fu style, you know, like long fist. Uh, and obviously in this film, they it progresses from they start learning Shaolin. Right. So, you know, hard style Shaolin, pole fighting, this and that, uh, you know, seems like animal stuff there in there. This is obviously going to be from a visual standpoint, more like modern day Wushu. In case people are like, this is a real Shaolin. OK, I get it. But it's supposed to be like more of this harder style. And then as a reflection of both their characters and the journey they go on, whereas Chin Su Ho's character starts to become evil and darker, as we mentioned, and just more sinister. And he's climbing his way up to be the like most powerful general in China, just killing everybody in his way. This is reflected in his fighting style. He becomes even harder, even stronger, you know, less intelligent maybe in a sense because he he can just eat punches because they've, they've done like iron body training and he'll just like break dude's bones with one punch. Whereas Jet Li takes the opposite approach with him being so good hearted and then also having said heart broken by Chin Su Ho, his brother, his Shaolin brother, he goes a completely different direction and develops a softer style, a more Taoist themed style. And then as the movie goes, because even from the get go, Chin Su Ho's is a harder style. And then Jet Li's was more of like the softer elements of Shaolin. They go their opposite paths with Jet Li's character eventually developing what is Tai Chi, right? And I think obviously that's not the, a real story. It's just kind of what it's supposed to be. So through these doctrines he has, like the Taoist doctrines or the Shaolin philosophy, once he gets from their master, he developed, and through the help of a Taoist priest uh, played by, once again, Yuan, Yuan Wuping's brother, Yuan Qiongyan, uh, he develops... Tai Chi. And then so at the end, it's this contrast of styles. You have the ultimate hard style versus the uh, ultimate soft style in Jet Li's Tai Chi. Whereas throughout the whole film, Chin Su Ho's character has been able to beat Jet Li's. Mm -hmm. But then once Jet Li finally develops this new system, it's the it's the whole yin and yang philosophy, right? Hard and soft. Uh, It's it's the water crashing up against the cliff. Eventually, the cliff, the cliff uh, makes way. Yeah. Uh, and so with that, the choreography reflects that, uh, we get some amazing wire work sequences. Michelle Yeoh gets to do a lot of great stuff. Her character is just already trained martial artist. It's one of those movies where like everybody knows martial arts, <laughs> you know, like everybody can throw down fight, which is great. It's to the viewer's benefit and it works. Sometimes that doesn't work in films where you're like, huh, I remember watching, uh, this is random. Simon says with Dennis Rodman. Which I would love to go back and rewatch, but that's one we of those all movies. Would. I remember even as a kid where I ate that kind of stuff up. I remember sitting there watching, like, huh, she knows kung fu too, huh? That guy knows kung fu as well. <laughs> like, not that they were doing anything like bad. Like, I didn't look at. I'm just like, this kind of doesn't make sense. Everybody knows kung fu, but uh, in a kung fu a period set kung fu film like this, it obviously works. So. We have so many great weapon sequences. We have so many great wire work sequences. We have so many, you know, maybe not as much wire work sequences, but really predominantly throughout there is 
quite a bit of wire work used in each sequence, I would say. Uh, but you know what's funny is some of the best wire work is the most subtle one. And I, we talked about this right afterwards. The sequence where uh, they are fighting uh, the, what would you call him? Uh, he's uh, the, uh, the character would be the eunuch, right? Uh, yeah. Like, but what is he? The, the royal eunuch, I guess is what they call him. Uh, uh, who's played by, what's his name? Uh, the stick master from Drunken Master. Uh, uh, Sun Jin Kwai, I think's his name. But so when they're fighting him, and there's a sequence where Jet Li jumps down from a platform and Michelle Yeoh jumps down from a platform and they just seamlessly float down. Yes. And that's the kind of wire work that I think is just so cool and incredible. And you can't see the wires. It's amazing how they did that even back in 1993. And that's the kind of stuff I wish they would have done more of in, say, uh, Shang-Chi, right? More of Absolutely. that traditional wire work as opposed to everything CG because you don't need to, right? No, and and what's- visually, you can – it just – the, the the brain absorbs it more. It's funny because you're that absolutely nail on the head there. Because if again, like if your first entry into like the Marvel universe is any into modern cinema is any Marvel universe film, so much is happening. Your brain can't necessarily absorb it. You have to like it's an acquired taste. Right. Uh, and it's a great taste to acquire, but it's an acquired taste. Watching like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which uh Tai Chi Master clearly shares so uh, so much with just the gliding aspect yeah. is is mystical, mythical, uh, and magical. the brain magical, and the brain can the brain does absorb, and it's just it, it's just absolutely beautiful to see, and it, it it also thematically again with Tai Chi Master this made absolute sense because of where they had developed their skill set to where they had been doing their training right. it makes sense that they can now just glide in and stand and they're ready yep it's beautiful work I agree and performed beautiful I mean Michelle Yo, I mean just is such a phenomenal performer I think every time we discuss her we talk about how she is always uh, at the forefront of of cinema from mm-hmm. like from an acting perspective from an action perspective from her choreographic from her ability to perform from her very early days and of course you know you've seen her most recent and i haven't yet but just she is always such a professional and, oh, yeah. and dedicated artist yeah she's phenomenal and then so really just a quick rundown on wing chun once again very enjoyable film a lot more slapstick i enjoyed it a lot more than i did as a kid when i saw my original version on bcd i got in chinatown uh, choreography wise though it is not very Wing Chun-esque there's short little sequences where they're doing like more Wing Chun type stuff but you know I hate to say this but even the IP man or the Yip Man films particularly number one and maybe number two have a lot more like Wing Chun authentic Wing Chun I guess you could say I am not the expert uh, and then obviously the whole series they're doing kind of Wing Chun based choreography but at least in the first one you did have some more realism to the Wing Chun this film doesn't and it's not really i mean yeah she's doing bong sows and tan sows and lop sows and all that stuff she does some wooden w work but it really doesn't feel much like real wing chun but also that was the style at that time so there is more wire work uh donnie yen does get to throw down and do some amazing kicking work which is cool but there is definitely a lot of that uh mole tao slapstick you know comedy you know fart jokes uh, highly suggestive and sexual innuendos and not innuendos, just like, you know, somewhat uh, inappropriate sequences in that manner. 
but aside from, you know, the, the storyline, there's plenty of action in this film as well. In fact, lots of action. I feel like it, it perhaps grows a little more stale. The version we were watching was also, and they even let us know beforehand, was not as good of a copy as, say, whereas the Tai Chi Master version we had was definitely, and you could tell it was an older copy, but it's real film. You still enjoy watching it. There's an occasional crack that just kind of gives it that cool aesthetic. But the Wing Chun version, there's a slight discoloration that uh, sometimes like the tint was slightly off. We had Mm -hmm. three subtitles on there. It was Chinese English. And then what we believe was maybe uh, Indonesian. Yes. Like in the Indonesian ones were printed on there afterwards. Uh, So that was occasionally disrupting, but not really. I mean, we knew what we were getting into. Yeah. It's funny because that's the, I, I had gone to grab popcorn between the films and they had started the second film. That's when the guy was talking about, did I, the, did I mispronounce her name? I came in and the first thing I saw were the Indonesian uh, subtitles. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I, I, I walked in and, you know, there are heads in front of me, so I couldn't see the English subtitles. I'm like, uh, are, are we going to be able to understand this? Now imagine this. What if you turned to me and said, what's going on? And I just responded to you in Indonesian and you were oh, suddenly in this whole new uh universe like you've been transported and you're like oh crap i'm screwed yes which <laughs> it's, uh, the, it's the portal right it, it is a portal uh which kind of segues but i don't want to segue yet into the newest michelle Yeoh movie which i'll talk about uh briefly but yeah wing chun still a fun movie highly recommend checking it out but really of the two tai chi master is a classic it, it would go down in my top five jet Li films uh really enjoy it yes it is predominantly wire work and that style of choreography, which usually isn't, or especially before, wasn't my cup of tea, even to this day, you know, isn't usually my top choice every once in a while. I'm craving it. But this film is definitely the one to go see of that style. It's got a yes. great plot and story that keeps you captivated throughout. Great performances, great choreography, so many fight sequences, so much good food. Uh, and once again, it's my favorite performance by Chin Su Ho as well. He's just so good at it and so evil. And the character development of both characters, both Jet Li and Chin Su Ho's complete opposite directions. And they both do a phenomenal job. But if anything, I feel like Chin Su Ho steals the show. You he know. does such a, he does such a fantastic job and his, his, uh, his character, uh, as, as a human comes across so well uh, it, it, there's, there's always, will he turn this around? Will he turn this around? throughout the film you're always wondering will his character turn this around because he he is such obviously he's a fine martial arts performer on film but he is a fine actor i would almost say that he's borderline actor first because of his ability to make the audience wish for and hope for and believe that he might be able to turn this around even though we know we as for this from the story we can't have him turn it around he needs to continue in this direction as 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 we the audience learn a lesson yeah uh about choices i i did have one question about uh wing chun was donnie yen playing Yip man and learning wing chun from michelle yo and then is this the lineage of uh bruce lee's teacher it starts with michelle michelle yo and uh in Wing Chun, and then I'm really dragging this joke out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and for those obviously you cannot see, I am staring <laughs> at Gavin with a really dog, really. Uh, obviously, that is a big fat 
no. Uh, yeah, it doesn't even follow the it does follow the somewhat apocryphal origin story of Wing Chun, how she learned from her master, etc. But really, aside from that, it, it kind of doesn't. Also, it, it starts to mix and mash stuff from the, the timeline of what was supposedly Wing Chun's uh, life, which once again, there now seems to be some martial arts historians who not only believe that was false, but, uh, you know, once again, but who am I to state? I am not the Wing Chun expert. If you want uh, an expert on Wing Chun and Wing Chun history, you should listen to the Kung Fu Genius podcast because that's our good friend Sifu Alex Richter that is the uh, expert on that. But that being said, uh, it was a great, uh, great double screening, great weekend trip. And uh, really quick, as we wrap this up, I do want to mention I did go see Everything Everywhere All at Once, the new Michelle Yeoh movie. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend everybody go see it. It is a phenomenal film. Michelle Yeoh's performance is so darn good, especially when you watch it, because in the film, uh, she plays like an overworked, stressed out, emotionally drained Chinese-American mom. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they own a laundromat, uh, the stereotypical type thing, but her whole world's thrown into a frenzy when she discovers, uh, she's the last hope to saving the entire multiverse from destruction. Uh, the movie combines like almost every genre known to man, uh, yet somehow seamlessly is able to navigate around all the storytelling modes. And it, it, it creates this motion picture that's like so moving at points, like you're nearly on the verge of tears. But then it stops because the next most insane, wacky thing happens. And I mean that in the best way. You're just like, as you're about to tear up, you're like, wait, what? There's a, there's, I can't even say it. It's just so inappropriate, some of the stuff in there. But then it works, right? Uh, And as some of this, when you watch some of the different universes with this multiverse, people get to play all these different roles, right? Obviously, there's all these different versions Mm -hmm. of them. And so... At the beginning of the film, when you're introduced to some of these different universes, you're like, this is the most insane thing I've ever seen. This is literally stupid. But then by the time it gets to the end of the movie, those same universes or those same characters are nearly bringing you to tears with how their story has evolved. Uh, it, it, it's just crazy. Like, but at the end of it all, the Daniels, the guys who directed it, it's two guys named Daniel. So they're affectionately called the Daniels. Uh, this extravaganza is really just like at, at its core, it's a touching allegory for family struggles and relationships. And they just disguise it as this trippy science fiction adventure. But Michelle Yeoh, is, so she's playing this like, you know, first, not first generation. She is an immigrant Chinese American mom. And so throughout like her performance, you forget how like she's kind of using the stereotypical like broken English. You know, they speak Mandarin through a good majority of the film. She does like a Mandarin English combo. But then when you see her in interviews afterwards, you forget how eloquently spoken she is and how her English is better than mine. She speaks with like a British accent, very just well spoken. And I was watching this interview with her and I was like, I don't even know what that word means I had to look it up. Right. But you forget that when watching this because. Uh, she kind of speaks in that uh, in almost like a stereotypical like, yeah, OK, no problem. I do this, you know, and then you for, it, like it, the the performance just you just forget who she is outside of this film. Right. Mm-hmm. And however, the my biggest takeaway from this movie was how darn good Jonathan Kihu Chen was, a.k.a. Short Round from Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, a.k.a. Data from the Goonies. Uh, also, aka co-star of one of my all-time favorite B trashy movies, Breathing Fire. Yes, one of the best American-made martial arts movies from the early '90s. I think I said yes as you were mentioning the film name. So yeah. let's mention that name again. Breathing Fire. 
Yes, breathing people fire. need to watch that. Yeah. Breathing fire. I'm gonna Jerry throw, Trimble. Yeah, I'm going to throw this out there, and I know this is insane. Best supporting actor for uh, John Q. Trying Oscars next year. I know it's crazy as that fire. sounds because he gets to play all these different versions of his character Raymond. So he plays, you know, classic Chinese dad Raymond. Like, oh, hello, honey. No problem. You know, like, and once again, I apologize about the accent. I'm just trying to, you know, show kind of the character he's playing right then he also has uh alpha verse raymond which is like the secret agent version of him that gets this phenomenal fight sequence it is so cool and collected then he plays like this suave successful version of raymond where he literally looks like james bond like slick back hair glasses on my you know handsome dude leading man-esque and he gets to show his range as an actor so i'm i i'm, I'm saying dark horse best supporting actor jonathan q trend oscars 2023 let's do something great after the the terrible Oscars this year and the slap hurt around the world. But anyways, we got to wrap this up because I got to get going. Any final thoughts, my man? Uh, hopefully new Beverly shows some, uh, Kung Fu, more Kung Fu films again. Uh, loving, loving that they're showing them not just on Tuesdays, but also on the weekends. Heck to the end, my man. All right. We'll be recording again soon. Uh, thank you all for listening and we will be back with you hopefully in a week. Peace, my brother. Take care.